0: Yesterday afternoon, the pastor called me and he was in a dilemma. He wanted to be here, but as he said to me, his mama was getting ready to see Jesus face to face. And I encouraged him to stay and be son because I knew that's what you would want me to do. And so that's where he's at this morning. This morning, he texted me and he says, she's even closer. And you may be asking yourself, well, Sam, you're third string. (laughs) I know my place, okay? Why is A.J. not here? Well, A.J. had an incredible week at camp, and he deserves some time with his family and some rest because he's been doing a great work for the Lord. So I have the privilege, I have the honor of being here this morning. And I started thinking about, what I was going to share today, and the Lord led me to something that I shared on a Sunday night some seven years ago. Well, it being on a Sunday night, that guarantees it's gonna be new to most of you, okay? (laughs) But for some of you, you've heard it before, but it's a message worth repeating. And the truth I wanna remind you of today is, how great is our God. Now, great is a word that is often used and often used too much, even to the point where it seems meaningless. But what does it mean? Here's a definition that I found. Notable, remarkable, exceptional, outstanding. You know, I have been to some great places. I've been fortunate to travel this world around. And recently, I celebrated my 40th anniversary with my wife, Melinda. Thank you for your prayers for her. She has survived. <laughs> and on our anniversary trip, we went to Oregon. And let me just tell you, it was great. We spent some time on the coast where we saw sea lions and the rocky coastlines and saw bald eagles. And we then, we then went to Mount Hood where we hiked and we saw waterfalls. We had a great time. We were able to rest and enjoy the scenery. I was afraid Melinda wasn't going to come back. She found this beautiful place that she loved. But then we drove to Eugene, Oregon, we got to spend time and have dinner with Bob and Glenda Higgins who were living out there at the time, and on Sunday, we crossed the Columbia River from Portland into Vancouver, Washington. And there is a church plant there. The pastor is Ryan Siddham. He grew up in Bellevue. Uh, He went to the University of Memphis, Uh, he, he and his wife did, and they were classmates of my son and while we were out there we were so close we wanted to go to church and see what God was doing in Vancouver Washington to the gifts of Baptist churches around the world and it was a great service but it made me really appreciative of this church look we have a great pastor and I have the privilege of working with him daily he's a godly man uh, and he He's the same here as he is anywhere else. He's consistent. But we have great people. Man, this is a great family. If you're visiting here today, I just want to tell you how good the people of Collierville First Baptist Church are. They are a loving family. And we have great resources. We are so privileged and blessed. But you know what? I'm not here to talk about a great person, a great place, a great family. I'm here to talk about the greatness of God. How great is our God? If you will, turn turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to begin in verse 12. And what we're going to see is how great is our God and how he is great in his power. So join me as I read Isaiah chapter 40 beginning in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands? and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales who has directed the spirit of the Lord or has his counselor or as his counselor has informed him with whom did he consult and who gave him understanding and who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the ways of understanding behold the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine, fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beast enough for burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. God is great when compared to nature, beginning in verse 12. When we look at nature... You know, we naturally find it difficult to imagine the vastness. You know, you've been in front of an ocean, you've been on a seashore, and you've looked at that enormous amount of water, and you've been in awe. And at some points, the ocean is six miles deep, or at night, you glance out and you see the stars, the trillions and billions of stars, and then As you can tell from my accent, I'm an Appalachian. I love those mountains. You go to the mountains and you see all the rocks and the soil and you just are overwhelmed with its vastness. But the truth is, when God looks at nature, he has a very different perspective. When he looks at the ocean, he's able to measure the amount of liquid in each body of water like it's in the palm of his hand. When he looks at the stars, He doesn't think about the trillion, billion miles between them. It's like he can connect them with his fingers. When we lift our eyes, we see that he has been the creator in the past, but he's also the current regulator. He's still at work holding everything together. And here's what it means for us. God's infinite power, exactly what we need to be our comfort, to be our guidance when facing challenges of our time. God's greatness is beyond our imagination. God is great when compared to nature. God is great when compared to our wisdom. Isaiah asks five important questions to help us understand the vastness of God's wisdom. The five questions are, has anyone understand God's mind? Has anyone ever instructed or counseled him? Has anyone enlightened the Lord of any matter? Has anyone taught the Lord the proper way to go? Has anyone taught him knowledge or did he have to go to school? J. Oswald points to the essence of this implied question. If we cannot take the measure of the physical world, how can we even begin to measure the vastness of God's mind and of who God is? It's ludicrous to think anyone can measure the depth and the breadth of the mind of God in the mind of Christ. John Wesley said this Bring me a worm that can understand and comprehend a man, and then I show you a man who can comprehend God. God is the one who teaches. He's the one who provides knowledge. He's the one who provides wisdom. None of us can teach God a thing, and it's amazing. Sometimes we get into circumstances, and we want to say, God, have you ever thought about this? Here's how the way I should approach it. Here's the way we should approach it. God has supreme knowledge. He's the one who teaches us. He's the one who can lead us. And it should give it us confidence to trust him, not in ourself. If you're asking for advice, who do you want to ask? My my wife, and this is an ad for preschool. My wife is serving in preschool right now. She can't be here. She's in the bed babies. We're blessed to have numerous bed babies. Should she be asking one of those bed babies for advice or someone else? That's the way we go around. We ask people for advice. We don't go to the one who is the source of all wisdom, God. God is great when compared to individualism. God is great when compared to the nations. If the mountains, the heavens, and the seas are small in God's perspective, surely the great nations which have dominated this small planet and opposed God's will are nothing when compared to God. There is no nation on earth right now that is anything when we compare it to God. The book of Isaiah points out over and over again about the powerlessness of the nation and how God is sovereign and his power is over each and every one of them. The great nations like Assyria and Babylon, which were used by God to discipline his children, are compared to dust. That he was saying to the children of Israel, you shouldn't fear them. Even though you're in captivity right now, You should not have fear in them. Your fear, your awe, your respect should be directed towards God. He is the one you can trust. God is great when compared to nations. God is great when compared to our modest attempts to worship him. If we were to search the whole world for something worthy to give to God, We cannot find it. Even here he does a comparison. He says you can go to Lebanon and take all the forests in Lebanon. You can take all the animals in Lebanon and make a sacrifice to God. And it is not enough to match his glory, to match his worth, to match his holiness. There is nothing on heaven and earth worthy of his greatness, of of describing his greatness. He is great in his power." And in verse 18, we begin to see that he is great in his personhood. Read with me in verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold. And a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He is too impoverished for such an offering, selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its habitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely have their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither and the storms carry them away like stubble. God is great in his personhood, and he is great when compared to dead idols. The Lord is greater than all the images and false gods of this world. Now, I've been to India several times, and I have gone through the countryside. I mean, out in the middle of nowhere, you will find a little temple and a little idol. They're everywhere. There's billions of them. And they are nothing They are nothing but man-made objects. The creation of some person's imagination. Some craftsmen used metal, gold, silver, or even wood to create these gods from images that they had pictured in their mind. And Isaiah asked four questions. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? See, we are without excuse. Rather than worshiping a false god, God has been proclaiming his power, proclaiming who he is from the beginning of time. The Lord has been bearing witness to us throughout history, through his creation, and through his activity. And here's the twofold truth that comes from that. There is only one God, one living and true God, the Lord himself, Yahweh, who is triune, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he alone is our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer, our comforter. He's far greater than any false gods of this world, whether it's a false god that is a statue or a false god that we might find here in Collierville of a status symbol, such as a career, such as a house, such as a car. See, idolatry is alive and well in Collierville, Tennessee. He is far greater than any false god that's here in Collierville or in India, whether it's a relic, a statue, or our personal recreation and pleasure. The number one idol in Collierville, grab a mirror, and put it to your face, it's usually ourself. We are the one that we put in the place of God. So idolatry is alive and well. But let me just give you this message. Nothing is greater than our God. God is great when compared to dead idols. And God is great when compared to the princes and nobles. And Isaiah reminds the children of Israel, beginning in verse 21, of some truths. He wants to remind them that God rules over everything they can see in every direction, east, west, north, and south, even as far as the distant ends of the earth. But God's rule is not limited to this body. It's not limited to what our naked eye can see. His dwelling place is a tent above this dome half-earth half circle as it says in first kings eight twenty-seven, god's kingly rule is over all the earth from one end to the other over this whole universe from beginning to end he is so great that we are compared as insignificant grasshoppers see john piper told us this it's about the greatness of god not the significance of man god made us small and the universe big to say something about himself. One of, the biggest, one of the biggest things that we can do as grandparents, as parents, yes, we can instill a proper self-worth in our children, but let's make sure it's married to an understanding of the greatness of God. God is great in his personhood, but he is great in his provision. Look at verse 25. To whom then will you liken me that I should be his equal, said the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their hosts by number, he calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the just do me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired, his understanding is inscrutable. And not become weary. He is great in his personhood. God is great when compared to the finite things of this world. Here the Lord himself is speaking. He challenges the reader. He says look up your eyes. Look around. Look at the heavens and ask yourself. Who created all this? The Lord is greater than any of this. Because he is the creator. Who can he be compared to? Who is his equal? No one. He is greater than any finite thing. But here's the truth, I think, that will speak to all of us. He is greater. He is great when compared to any situation. There is no situation that God cannot handle. See, here the children of Israel, Isaiah is writing prophetically, and he's writing to the children of Israel who will be in captivity in Babylon. And he knew that they would feel that they had been abandoned. Have you ever felt abandoned? Have you ever felt hopeless? They felt that God was unconcerned about their condition, unaware of their hardships. But see, Isaiah's reminding them, the Lord knows. The Lord has compassion. And he wanted, Isaiah wanted to encourage them. There's four assurances here for any of you who are having a difficult time. I know people in this room who have lost loved ones. I know people who are going through rocky times at work or at home are in this room. Tomorrow I will be preaching a funeral of a lady who had been a member here for years and whose family is going to be dealing with the loss of, of their mother. And here's four things that we can understand and remember when we're going through those rocky times that God is able to oversee and control all events, whether it's the big events of human history or the events in our life. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world today. Just last week, I think it was last week, uh, one of the mightiest men in the world, Putin, had to deal with a disruption We would have never predicted that. But you know what? Even through that uncertainty, God is in control. God is in control of that. God is in control of the events in my life. And here's the good thing. Verse 29. God is always available to help those who truly trust him. My life verse, in fact, this is the, if you're going to be at the funeral tomorrow, you're going to get a synopsis right now. This is my life verse. I discovered it when I was a junior in college a long, long time ago when Abraham Lincoln and I were in college together. The life verse is from Nahum 1:7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. That knows is not head knowledge, head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. That knows is the expression of intimacy. Love compassion. Here's the great news for us is God is available. God wants to help us. God wants to hold us up when we trust in Him. And here's the thing, He will renew our strength. He will empower us. what's interesting, it's been 52 weeks since I preached. I think I get them once a year. I think it's in my contract once a year. (laughs) Last year, It was July 3rd. On July 2nd, we had just moved into a house. I don't know if you remember this. I was exhausted. Well, I'm trying to get another house ready for the market, and I have been working. What amazes me is how God renews my physical strength, how God renews my mental strength, how God renews my emotional strength when I don't don't rely on my resources, but when I turn it over to him. One of the things I like to do before I come out here is I get alone in my room and I start listening to some Brooklyn Tabernacle and start really worshiping and just crying out, Lord, I need you to work. Because he's the one who renews our strength. Look, if I tried to do this in my own power, I couldn't do it. I'm going to share something that y'all can start praying for me about. The last few months, I've started having some numbness in my legs. And it's because I'm carrying all the weight of the world on my shoulders, maybe around my waistline, okay? I've had some compression in spines. And sometimes if you see me sit down up here, it's not because I'm protesting worship. I'm not doing that. I'm sitting down because I don't want any of you to see me fall down and try to give me mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. But I've had no numbness today. And that's God. I, I was amazed. I, I, sometimes you may see me, Joshua thinks I'm dancing probably. I can actually dance, Joshua, better than this, okay? But I move side to side and I'm just trying to shift my weight. But God has worked today to give me energy and strength. And you know what? If you're trying to go through something right now, don't do it alone. God wants to work in each and every one of your situations for your good and his glory. God is great when compared to any hopeless situation. And it's because he will never get tired. He will never grow weary. How how many of you have worked so hard that you find it hard to go to sleep at night Because you have spent your energy. You are worn out. Well, you know what? God never experienced that before. He never goes weary. And you know what gets you through? What keeps you from growing weary? It's because he never gets weary. God is great when compared to a hopeless situation. How great is our God? So I want to close with three applications. First, since God is the all-powerful, wise creator of the heavens and the earth, his wisdom and sovereign control of this world is unlimited and goes beyond any of our understanding. It means that we can trust him. It means that God's able to control every aspect of this world. It means he is a person, a God who is worthy of all our trust. Jerry Bridges says this, no circumstance is so big that he cannot control it. God's in control. Second, the earth has no power in comparison to God. God sets up nations and in a short time they'll fall. In comparisons, God's time frame, their time of rule is extremely short and their stru- sovereignty is very limited. So this word is for every one of us. We are promised... We, we have lived in a land where we have enjoyed great freedom but we are the exception not the rule to follow Jesus means that you got to be ready to pay the price but here's the good news any nation that comes against God's will they're only going to be here for a short time but God is forever and we will be with him forever and we should trust him and fear him and not powers that oppose him. And the third thing, the idols that we have in our life are nothing compared to God, compared to Israel's powerful God, to Jesus. Matt Chandler says this, the idolatry that exists in a man's heart always wants to lead him away from his Savior and back to self-reliance, no matter how pitiful that self-reliance is or how many times it has betrayed him. So what are we to do with this message, how great is our God? How should we respond? I'm going to ask our staff and our worship team to be making their way up here. I'm going to tell you there's three responses today. And every person in this room has one of these that they can choose. The first is, if you have never responded to the greatness of God, if you have never responded to the compassion of God, you may right now be feeling something pulling you towards him. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may be working in your life right now to remind you of how finite you are and infinite he is. And the reason you're separated from him is not because of that finite versus infinite, it's because of sin. Your decisions to be number one. And what he wants you to do right now is he wants you to accept Jesus. Jesus who came as an infant, lived the perfect life, died on the cross and was resurrected so that we could have our sins forgiven and be adopted into the family. And all you have to do, is admit that you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and commit to following him. In a minute, if, if you're having to deal with that decision, you can come down and talk to one of our staff members. They'll be glad to help you take the step of faith. Second, as a believer, you may have become pal- callous, callous to the greatness of God. It just may seem old hat to you. J.I. Packer said this, the Christian's instinct of trust and worship are stimulated very powerfully by the knowledge of the greatness of God. But this knowledge, which Christians today largely lack, and that is the one reason why our faith is feeble and our worship so flabby. Right now, you may be thinking, you know, my worship has been flabby. My faith has been feeble. What you need to do in this time is to reflect on the greatness of God and repent from not recognizing it. And the last thing, as a follower of Christ, you need to take some time to examine your life. We're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper. And in 1 Corinthians, it warns us about taking it unworthily. You need to take some time right now to look into your life to see if there's any sin that prohibits you from taking it because you would be unworthy and take time to confess and repent of it so what we're going to do is take some time to respond I'm going to pray right now and then we'll have a moment of worship let's pray father we come right now Lord and I thank you for this word Lord you are great you are great in your power you are great in your personhood and you are great in your provision Lord we thank you that you have provided all the good things in our life, but most of all, you provided Jesus who came and lived the life we couldn't live, died and paid the price that we couldn't pay so that we could be adopted into your family. I pray for those right now who may need to respond that way, Lord, that you would give them the courage, the strength to respond. I pray right now, Lord, as we examine our lives that we would take time to see, Lord, how we should walk more worthy of the calling that's placed upon our life. I pray this in Christ's name.